Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. I've never seen a label like this on a class two narcotic. It's the first of its kind. Opioid use is being totally redefined in this country. Untreated pain is a is an unnecessary evil when you have a non-addictive opioid like Oxycontin that can be used to cure everyday suffering. And we're not supposed to hand out samples, but um, it'll be our secret. And I'll leave some coupons with, with Leah so you can uh, redeem for a few more bottles. Trust me, these miners' lives are gonna change overnight when they get a taste of Oxycontin. And I can let your patients suffer when they don't have to, right? Right, and uh, certainly did. That's Dope Sick. Uh, new episodes running every Wednesday on uh, Disney Plus. James Dempsey joins us uh, once again. Uh, presumably, this is a drama based on very real events. Very much so. Um, all, and some characters are real people, and some are fictional amalgams. It's based on a non-fiction book by Beth Macy, but this is actually written by Danny Strong, who wrote a lot of episodes of Mad Men, I think. Uh, but if you're a Buffy fan, he was Jonathan the Nerd in many, many episodes of that show way back when and has gone on to won two Emmys and two Golden Globes as a writer and he took her book and has adapted it into I think it's um, I think it's eight parts it might be ten I think it's eight uh, this big sprawling hour long drama that is a very 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 ambitious uh, piece of work and mostly for me worked uh, but just maybe fell down just because of the grand ambition and scope of it simply because it's trying to tell so many stories at once right Mm. so essentially there are three kind of main dramatic strands to it the first and the introductory one is the Sackler family who own Purdue Pharma which is this company uh, not like a you know it's not some centuries old pharmaceutical company I think it's only uh, in the the lifetime of the show it's only 40 years old and they created this drug Oxycontin which uh, most people I'm sure know is this super super addictive opiate uh, that was marketed as being not addictive right and uh, you have a strand involving Richard Sackler who's played by Michael Stuhlbarg who you'd know from Call Me By Your Name and um, An An Honest Man I think is the Coen Brothers one that he's in anyway he's in lots and lots of things and uh, then you have a strand involving um, Michael Keaton who we heard in the clip there with Will Poulter Uh, Michael Keaton plays this doctor uh, Dr. Samuel Phoenix who's this like GP in um, deep mining country in rural Virginia and he's just like a good egg you know he's got Mm. he's like a heart of gold GP everyone loves him and Michael Keaton has sort of grown into his ruggedness you know like he's sort of now yeah. he's like the perfect age for his his sort of physical appearance because he can just play these kind of good natured cranky old men very 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 mm. well and then there's another strand then involving the legal aspect um, that's led by Peter Sarsgaard and a guy who I have never heard of before John Hugenacker uh, who plays Randy Ramsayer who's equally interesting and Peter Sarsgaard plays Rick Mountcastle they're both real people they were in the they are were in the Department of Justice and we're leading in Virginia a case against Purdue Pharma and they're sort of aided by Rosario Dawson who plays an amalgam of various different DEA agents. And you have, so you have all these big strands working together and then you have a shifting timeline and what I think it does rather elegantly, (laughs) if a bit bluntly, but it's sort of bluntly elegant, is when the timeline shifts they just move 
you know, a, a year appears on the on the screen as a white figure, and it mo- it slides along and brings you to the year you currently are. So you're never going to lose track of when things yeah. are taking place. But there's just an awful lot going on because in addition to each one of these, there's subplots involving the development of the drug, uh, sort of fighting within the family. Then in the mining town, you've got various different people getting addicted to the mm. to the drug, including Caitlin Deaver, uh, who late scene of uh, in uh, Unbelievable, who was excellent in that and is excellent in everything she's in. And then within the sort of legal side as well, there's more subplots involving the FBI and various different uh, institutional bodies that... She, and red tape and so on and so forth. So it's just, there's just a lot going on, right? And because of that, um, somebody has to lose out, I kind of felt. And the the sort of, for me, the part that didn't quite work, at least in the first two episodes, which are the only ones I've seen, um, is the kind of Sackler family bit, right? So the bit about the developing the drug, I'm still sort of unclear of what I'm supposed to think of this Richard Sackler like he keeps going on he's giving these kind of like grandiose speeches about pain medication and changing America and so on and I'm not sure if I'm supposed to think that he believes this or if he's all part of this or is he evil like to his very core kind Okay, of thing, I, right? I, everything I've read about the Sackler family well half of them were total <laughs> wasters and hangers on anyway but, but the ones who actually were making the money were just all salespeople and very aggressive salespeople and they, they, they motivated the people under need them to be very aggressive salespeople. That part, I think, works better, right? So yeah. you, you do see the, you know, like what's quite interesting is in the first two episodes, which are the ones currently available, you know, you see how the sales tactics work, how they, you know, they, they at one point in sort of their, in their training, the, the drug reps, they're being told, we'll be providing you with like a psychological assessment of every GP, basically, you're going to meet before mm. you meet them, including history, family history. So they, they, they you know, they have dug their uh, insidious roots in, deeply into this into this community as they try to start and get this drug off the road. It's some of the throwaway bits that are really sort of fascinating. Like they talk about, you know, there's this point where they're talking about the whole marketing ploy of the drug was that it was not supposed to be addictive because of this chemical coating on it that was supposed to slowly release over 12 hours but ultimately just didn't work and they're asking the FDA like how you know how were they able to do this like and the FDA basically go well there's like 10 people who (laughs) deal with 35,000 claimants a year so it's an honour system and that's the whole point so obviously things are going to go and get things are only going to get an, an awful lot worse as you watch this because what you need to know about going into a drama like this is it's going to be fairly miserable, right? It is about how this drug has reaped across generations of Americans this terrible, terrible curse and how addictive it was and how it has led to massive increases in crime, violent crime um, and just decimated entire communities. So don't come here for the feel good. Yes. <laughs> happy ending because as far as I could tell in 2021 uh, it doesn't, it, there isn't a happy ending yet. I'm not quite sure how far it's going to stretch time-wise but put it this way it's kind of wintertime it's dark at four o'clock sometimes in wintertime you kind of want to watch something a bit like a heavy drama right Mm. you want like that kind of I'm not saying necessarily entirely miserable and there is moments of levity throughout but just you know go in with your eyes open that this is not uh, like a feel good family drama and actually there's so many facets to that particular and it's still an ongoing story really the Sacklers are still trying to are still wriggling on the hook a bit it looks like they're not going to be held responsible for anything, really, them personally. But the, did, did they mention the so-called pill mills where there were 
there, like doctors' surgeries were, were set up in towns that had three people living yeah. in them, but they had 20,000 people on their books so they who were have, just driving to get the pills. There's, a, there's a scene of that in, in the second episode where, where you, you know, uh, Rosario Dawson is sort of going undercover to mm. investigate one of these. And yes, they do acknowledge that. I know Alex Gibney made a three part documentary. I think that would be on Sky Documentaries. Yeah. I think it's called like The Crime of the Century. It's some, mm. it, that's not right, but it's something akin to that anyway. And I was reading a review of this that said that you'd almost want to have done your homework before uh, before sitting down to watch the show to really follow everything that's going on. And I, I think the only homework I ever did on uh, OxyContin was a was a John Oliver segment where because I'm sure he's done at least one. If oh, not no. Two. Yes. <laughs> um, so my knowledge was superficial and and joke based, but certainly I didn't find it that hard to follow. Put it that way. Right. Mm. It's just I thought the scope of the show is just so grand in the fact that there's just so many, uh, you know, there's so many fingers and so many pies that somebody does lose out every now and again, yeah. and I, which is just the nature of a big, big cast like this. But an interesting, timely show and certainly in these kind of cold winter time, you know, a good meaty drama to buy yeah. into. Uh, Peter says it's one of the best miniseries I've seen in a long time. Performances across the board are superb, particularly uh, Kathleen Deaver. Uh, the time jumps within the show can initially be confusing, but once you get into the rhythm of it, it's quite effective. Uh, I, someone else says they get the importance of a drama like Dope Sick and it's acted very well but man alive is it bleak especially knowing there's not exactly a happy ending at the end of the series well I suppose there's a kind of a happy ending and this isn't a spoiler in that like we all know about this now True. and, and uh, they've been sued uh, multiple like massive class action suits uh, against them so and a lot of these pill mills I assume have been closed down but that's you'd hope you'd hope <laughs> uh, anyway uh, right we'll move on to our uh, second show of the day it is The Shrink Next Door Shrink Next Door new episodes every Friday on Apple TV Plus here's a clip so what brings you here I don't know I mean that's the crazy thing I, I I'm fine everything's fine it's so silly yeah uh Phyllis made me come. That's the real reason. Phyllis? My sister. Oh. She must be very persuasive. <laughs> well. <laughs> so why does Phyllis think you need to come? Come again? Why does Phyllis think you need to come? I literally have no idea. It's ridiculous. It, I, if I had to guess, I couldn't. Everything's great. I don't have any problems. I mean, I'm good. I'm like a cool breeze. Don't hear that very often. <laughs> well... That's my story. Right. Uh, this is based on a podcast. It's based on a podcast that I think came out in 2019. And that podcast is made by, I think the production company is called Wonderly or Wondery, something like that. And they have made other podcasts like um, Dirty John or Dr. Death, which have also been adapted for uh, screen. And I don't know if they're just like a content mill that basically yeah. <laughs> finds a vaguely interesting true crime-ish story and then adds a big glossy label to it. Now, there is a lot of pedigree attached to this in the sense that um, it has a big name cast, right? It has Will Ferrell playing M- Martin Marty Markovitz, who is the patient there. And Paul Rudd last week voted uh, Sexiest Man Alive 2021 wow. as uh, Dr. Isaac Ike Hirschkopf. And uh, Marty is, you know, well, first of all, it's, it's set in the 1980s. It also does a bit of time jumping, a little bit like Dope Sick, but... Um, Marty is has inherited this uh, kind of like uh, textile business 
in his Jewish American family and is struggling with sort of the weight of running it, dealing with his quite bombastic sister and sort of being of a nervous disposition in general. And his sister, played by Catherine Han as Phyllis, uh, gets him to go see this therapist who is Dr. Ike, who slowly ingratiates himself so fully into his life that he almost takes over his banking, his finances, his business, everything. He, you know, uh, Dr. Ike, who I guess is this like upwardly mobile, but, you know, trained psychiatrist, um, sees this mark as a potential route to a, to the sort of lavish lifestyle he always wanted and, and you know, gets, I think, a couple of decades out of it, right? Okay. Now, the Shrink Next Door title actually came from the fact that the, the guy who made the podcast, a journalist who writes for Bloomberg named Joe Nocera, he had a house in the Hamptons where Dr. Ike would constantly be throwing these lavish parties next door. Maybe they were, maybe it wasn't quite next door, but in the neighbourhood. <laughs> and, um, that is how he ended up discovering this story because it was, of course, Martin's house. Now, what I will say is if ever there was a show that did not probably need to be eight episodes, it's this. Because if you look at the podcast episodes, they're maybe about 20 minutes long. Whereas these three of the eight that are to come varied from kind of 35 to almost 50 minutes long. And I don't, you know, like I get the thing about it is there's only so many times I can watch Paul Rudd squeeze Will Ferrell for a bit more money, right? Like mm. it, it's the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Right? So far, and we're only kind of three three episodes in at this point. We're not even at the halfway point. Oh, ultimately, I liked it without loving it. My biggest issue was the problem is Paul Rudd and Will Ferrell are these two big comedians who have starred in comedic movies together, the Anchorman Anchorman franchise, which Catherine Han I think also had a little supporting role in as well. Mm. And for me, everything about it was just a little bit too. Um, to like put on right, like their accents, their the style of the show. Every it's it's nineteen eighties, you know, America, New York City, but uh, a very sort of like uh, the story is these Jewish Americans together. So it is, it's kind of like you know Woody Allen cosplay kind of going on here. Right, but it sounds like Anchorman cosplay because <laughs> the style in Anchorman would have been kind of nineteen eighties thing as well. Uh, is it hard? To, are you saying it's hard to take? You're waiting for them to be funny almost, like that they're resisting but, that urge. But also they, they have built it as a black comedy, right? right they are okay. going for a black comedy tone, but I think they're succeeding more with the comedy than they are with, with the kind of drama, right? Mm. Now, I don't know if that's my own personal bias when approaching this because I can't sort of separate these big comedic stars in a dramatic role, but I think almost playing off each other makes it worse. Like if it was, you know, if it was, if it was one of them with a more regular straight man, it probably would be playing better Yeah. In my in yeah. my view, uh, I will say Catherine Han, who is having a great year, uh, is great in this and and brings a lot to Phyllis, um, uh, uh, who is this big, energetic, mean but loving sister. And what I al- what I also found quite novel about it was um, a lot of the Apple shows. Now I will say some of them are set in the far distant future, some of them are set in Emily Dickinson era. But there's so much product placement mm. in them; they're constantly on their iPhones or their computers. So I found it quite novel to see them not using like an iPhone because it's set in the <laughs> 1980s. But that was a personal uh, one. But look, for me, it is no classic, right? Uh, and and I think if it if it enters any kind of awards bubble mention, it'll only because of it'll only be because of the star power of its cast. It's a perfectly fine black comedy based on a podcast I'd never heard of. 
and uh, put it this way in a year's time I won't even remember having watched it it's that, it's that kind of thing <laughs> wow damning with faint praise or what well done for trying lads uh, alright we'll move on to our third show it is Dexter New Blood new episodes every Monday on Sky Atlantic here's a clip it's been a long time but if I'm going to do this I need to do it right first rule of the code <laughs> Don't get caught. There you go. Dexter New Blood. Is this flogging a dead horse murdered by a serial killer? <laughs> I don't quite know because I didn't watch the original run of Dexter. It's something that I tried to watch a couple of times and then it's never, it never happened because I guess it came just before the the streaming. Like I think the original season came in 20, 2006. So that was, I think, more of a box set time mm. than a streaming time. <laughs> yes. And I just never got around to watching it. But I know uh, its fans... It had an up and down relationship with its fans and a lot of people uh, consider it season four uh, finale, the absolute zenith and don't even bother looking beyond then. But there were another four seasons after that. Oh dear, okay. This is season nine, but it is rebranded and it takes place... Uh, chronologically in the story 10 years after the show ended but in our, in real terms 8 years and it is technically a new show It's it's got a subtitle it's Dexter New Blood and it finds Dexter uh, living in upstate New York and if you're unfamiliar with the show I don't think it's a spoiler to say he was living in uh, Florida and was a serial killer I, I read on he killed in the lifetime of the show something like 117 people and mm. um, he got away with it right yeah. and then at the end of the season uh, I, slight spoiler but I didn't see it myself but a very slight spoiler his sister dies and when we meet him in uh, 10 years later he's no longer living as Dexter he's pretending to be Jim Lindsay which is a reference to Jeff Lindsay who wrote the original book Um He's got a girlfriend who's a sheriff or uh, something, police officer anyway. He's living in cold, freezy, upla- freezing upland, uh, upstate New York and has gone, you know, has gone clean. He hasn't killed anyone or anything in 10 years. And uh, obviously you can, <laughs> you can expect that that's not going to last for the entire run of the first episode. And yeah. of course it doesn't. I, yeah. Now, what I will say is as someone who didn't watch Dexter, I mean, I might have seen a couple of episodes here and there. I really enjoyed the first episode because I got a sense that it was trying to do something completely new with the character, right? He was in new surroundings. He was doing new things, i.e. not killing people. And of course, I knew it was leading to him going bad. That was just inevitably going to happen. I don't I don't think that's a spoiler. Um, I, I found the first episode very compelling, stylishly shot, beautifully laid out, like lovely tableaus and edits and uh, montages and so on and so forth. And very, very, very good. His deceased sister reappears. She's also his ex-wife in real life. They married midway through production and divorced two years later. Um, she reappears as his dark passenger, which is sort of his, his part of his psyche that talks to him and tells him to be off killing people. Mm. Although she is sort of the light side of his psyche. I guess she's this light passenger. She's trying to convince him not to kill anybody. Yeah. And other people turn up that may or may not constitute a spoiler. So rather than spoiling for anybody, I won't say anything. But all in all, I kind of thought, do we need a show like this? I mean, I, I enjoyed the first two episodes that I've seen. I don't think uh, I enjoyed the first one more because it was showing me this different side of Dexter. And then kind of once he started murdering again, well, 
I've actually it's kind of been there stop that right bit disappointing really <laughs> but all in all I thought it was you know I, th- I think Michael C. Hall who plays Dexter is a very sort of enigmatic character when you compare it to something like You which mm. obviously followed in its footsteps is a very similar kind of show this is superior because this is you know You is tongue in cheek and all of the characters are gross uh, caricatures of millennials or or whatever. This is a more straight-laced drama and because of that it's a bit more chilling. It's a bit more believable even though it's not really that believable. Yeah, James, thanks a million. Yes. As ever, the three uh, shows we were talking about today were Dope Sick, new episodes every Wednesday on Disney+, Plus, The Shrink Next Door, new episodes every Friday on Apple TV+, Plus, and uh, as you just heard there, Dexter, New Blood, new episodes every Monday on Sky Atlantic. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break after that, the invention of the dog. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.